because it is really true that you can do all kinds of things and you can build trust, build trust, build trust, and then you can do something that just in one act can kind of cause that trust to be taken away. Trust is an important concept. Think about it for a second. What is trust? If you were to define it, what's the essence of trust? I spoke last week on the foundation of trust and, and, and talked a bit about that. And, and, and during the week when my wife and I were talking about this, uh, she, she did say to me, she said, you know, it was really, it was helpful, but, you know, are you going to be defining what trust is? So, Grace, here's the definition. No. <laughs> In dictionary.com, there's a number of meetings they give, but a couple of them that are important are they define trust as a confident expectation of something. Another definition is a person on whom or a thing on which one relies. David Horsager, in his book, The Trust Edge, he's from the Minneapolis area and sought-after speaker and uh, CEO of his own company, defines trust as confident belief in someone or something. That's his primary definition of it, and he goes on to expand it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's confident belief in someone or something. So in a sense, in that way, trust is rather neutral in one way, because trust is a confident belief in someone or something. You can have a very confident belief that a certain person will reliably, when you make a meeting time with them, show up five to ten minutes late, right? Or you can confidently expect your three- or four-year-old child to throw fit every time you go through the grocery line right at the end as you're going to pay, and they grab onto that candy bar, and they go, I need this! You can be assured, literally trust, if you have parents in, in a, an a point in their life where you're trying to encourage them to, t- to think about moving out of their home and moving maybe into some assisted kind of living that they will, for sure, change the subject. You can bet, if you have a dog like mine, that every time you see that dog and it sees a squirrel, it will chase that squirrel. That's a, a confident belief in someone or something You can rely on many things except Minnesota weather and weather reporters, right? (laughs) Jesus said you can actually rely on Satan. In fact, you can be confident. You can actually trust this about him, that he will always steal, destroy, and kill. You can confidently expect this, says Jesus, as he's talking in John 10 to a whole group of people, and he's saying that he's the good shepherd, unlike the hired hands that run away. He is a shepherd who you can trust. I have come, he says, to give life, and I want you to live life to its fullest. That's my offer. A little bit later, he says, in fact, not only that, I have come that you might, have, you might be able to, to, as you follow me and know me, you can trust that I am the way and that in me is the truth and that there is also through me life. To some nervous disciples around that same time who were afraid because Jesus has been talking about the fact that he's going to leave them. He says these incredible words. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry. Don't get upset. Don't panic. Trust in God. And here is, you know, people say, you know, Jesus wasn't trying to claim that he was God. But he makes a statement, trust in God, trust also in me. How many of you would put yourself right in that same sentence? See, there's an important kind of definition here that, that goes beyond that. Last week I talked about trust as being incredibly important because Jesus said it's like the wise man who builds that trust on something that's foundational. It's like the wise builder that when he builds it, it stands firm, it's secure. You can trust that it will be there. And the foolish person builds it on something like sand and you can trust that when the storms come, when the, when the trials come, that it will wash away. It will not be able to hold your life in those times. 
And so he says, make your foundation on God. So God makes a statement that I love to repeat again and again when the storms of my own foundation are rattled. God says in Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, he calls anyone who wants to be wise, and he says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God makes a statement when I find it difficult even to maintain my trust, when I'm prone to fear, when I begin to lose my peace, as I look at my circumstances and I feel no reason for joy. When the storms are are shaking my very foundations and I'm at a loss for hope and someone has hurt me and I want to react back, God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge. Acknowledge me and him and he will make straight your paths. I look at it like this. They're like, like indicator lights. Think about it. You know how indicator lights in your, your car tell you when the engine's doing a certain thing or you're out of something? Like indicator lights that warn you. So also, in some ways, can be your emotions. When you find your joy light flashing empty, when your peace light slips into the red of worry or your hope crosses into despair and your love is depleted and your fear is beginning to paralyze you, God says when you see those emotional lights flashing, it is an indicator not to look to yourself, not to start talking more, not to do more activity, but it's an indicator to look to him, to place your foundation in him. It's an opportunity. And I'm going to ask us to say this together. Let's say it. And and the first service was really weak. So you guys do a little better, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Foundationally, trust looks like this. A life that chooses again and again, as I said last week, in God, begins to express. It looks like joy and peace and love and hope. So as I was thinking about it, as I was preparing this series, I thought, you know, we'll talk about the foundation, but just as my wife had asked, I felt it was really important that we talk about the essence of trust. And so we begin to find it as this confident expectation as someone or something. But here's the, the part that I want you to hear. This is the part that reflects who God is. This is the reason why we can put our full, complete confidence in him. Here's the definition that I would love for you to kind of think about and and live with. Trust is the confident belief in someone, and particularly God, to do what is right, to deliver what is promised, and to do it consistently, regardless of the circumstances. Think about that for a second. The essence of trust. If you want to see trust built, God had this down way before any of us. He knew that the essence of trust, that if he would be a foundation that you should put your life into so that you can choose to experience joy in a difficult time, that you can begin to hold on to peace when things don't seem to be too peaceful, you can love because you feel his love and love someone else back, even though they've hurt you, that you can remain hopeful even when the circumstances are bad. This is the kind of trust that God says is the essence of who he is. Every morning, one of the things that I do in our house is I, I get, you know, things ready in, in coffee and breakfast, and I have a quiet time. But before I do any of that, 
I have a dog who, and we, our dog is an outside dog, lives in our garage, and, and it so happens that we have a cat that's moved in with her, one of the cats that we've had. See, we have a kind of a hobby farm, so down in the barn live some other cats, but this cat was really sharp, because I'm going to live up in the garage. So this little cat, um, Abby, with our dog, Tessa, I, one of the first things I'll do in the morning is I'll go out there and I will actually feed the dog. Um, the cat has its own food, it's always out there, but the cat thinks it's a dog. In fact, when we go on walks, we take the dog and the cat kind of follows along. Uh, it, so we actually have to close the cat in the garage now when we go for the walk with the dog. Anyway, that's besides the point. Anyway, um, I, I feed this dog. So I put the, the food in the dog bowl and I know that the cat's going to want to eat a little something. So I put a little food over here. And what I know for a fact is when I look at the dog, I know that when I point to the floor, that dog will go. And she doesn't kneel, she doesn't bow. She actually lies prostrate on the floor because it's time to pray. She knows we're going to pray, so we pray. Now, here's the amazing thing. Not once ever in this cat's life has Abby so much as bowed her head, knelt, or lain prostrate in the floor. When we're praying, and here's a picture of it, that cat is eating, and the dog is kind of going, that cat's not a Christian. <laughs> I mean, at least it doesn't act like a Christian. But one thing I do know, and is this dog waits for its food, and she's eating her food. One thing I do know about the nature of that cat is that cat, every time, will go ahead and start eating. It's as pagan as can be. <laughs> I say this because one of the things I want you to really understand when we talk about this definition of trust, the confident expectation that we can have in someone, this God who loves you, says, put your foundation in me, is the very nature of God. The very nature of God. It just never changes. Is that he will always, he will always do what is right. He loves you so much, he will do what is right and good for you. The very nature of this God, the very essence of who he is, the reason you can put your trust fully, completely, confidently, with expectation, is not only that he does what is right, he will do what he says. He delivers his promises. And not only that, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what may be happening, there is nothing, nothing outside of God, nothing in God that can change it. There is nothing that will not allow for him to do that again and again and again and again and again and again. He's consistent, and that builds trust. Think about it. Where you work, if that was happening, you wouldn't have to advertise. Think about it. In your marriage, it would be a really good place. In a sports team you're on, in a ministry you're with, if you were doing that. So here's what I want to do. is just take a few minutes to build this whole idea. God is the foundation. He is the foundation of trust because he is the essence of being able to put trust into. It is his nature. There is no one else who always does what is right. There is no one else who always does what they say. There is no one else, no matter what the circumstances, does it again and again. That's why I think we can say, that's why I think you can repeat this verse throughout the week, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because there is no one. There is no one in your life who by their very nature is worthy of that kind of trust. 
God always does what is right. His judgments are always spot on. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. His judgments are always right on the mark. He doesn't need more information. Kind of like, oh man, that's interesting. I was thinking of the Ray Rice thing and the whole you know, Baltimore Ravens, all the stuff, that the black eye on football right now. And I was thinking about the commissioner and, and Commissioner Goodall and the NFL. And, and they had all this information, at least it appears they had, we don't know for sure. But we do know this, that they uh, made a decision to kind of excise him from the league for the period of time. And they made it after the PR made it impossible for them to make it any other way, right? And I thought, man, that's not God. He's not kind of waiting for the PR, public opinion to, you know, what's going to happen here? He's not confused about what happened. He's not waiting for more evidence. This God that we serve is perfect in all his judgments. Think about it for yourself. I mean, how often do you look at someone and you make a judgment and you make this judgment and you have no idea what's going on? But God never does that. God looks at you. He knows your heart. He understands you. He understands how you've gotten to where you're at. He knows that there may have been choices you have made. He knows that you may have experienced things against you that have created some kind of reactions. He knows all those things. But he so loves you. He sees you. And his judgment is this. His judgment is he wants to remove the sin. He wants to remove the stuff that gets in the way of building trust. And he did it through Jesus on a cross. He took all your sin. He took all my sin. He says, Kevin, I understand you're still going to make mistakes. But if you begin to trust in me and you begin to walk in my grace... You begin to move into this. Guess what? I'm going to start creating in you a heart like mine that does what is right, that begins to start having judgments that are more like mine. And I'm going to teach you that you're not God and you're not really the one to judge. I mean, Peter was so fascinated by Jesus. When he looked at Jesus, he says at one point that Jesus was so confident in his father's Judgment that when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he was suffering, he didn't stand up there. He wasn't on the cross making threats to these people. It says he entrusted himself to him, his father, who judges justly because he knows his God always does what is right, even in the most difficult circumstances when he could be going, God, is this really, are you really right? Do I really got to go to the cross? Is he prays and sweats blood? Do I, does this really? But I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I love the fact that God always does what is right. He doesn't play favorites. Think about that. How many of us, you know, kind of like, well, you know, this guy has a little something I could, you know, if I get close. We like to play favorites. We do it all the time. Not God. God has a man named David who grows up, who he says he's going to be my king, and he's got a heart after me, and he seeks after me, and David does all these things. He worships God. He writes all these psalms. I mean, how many have written this many? I mean, amazing what David has done. He expands the kingdom of God. And yet at one point in his life, he so sins, he so errs in such a way that he commits adultery and he actually has a woman's husband killed. And God does not go, well, you know, David, you know, David's a good guy. He really had a good track record. He's one of my favorites. He is one of his favorites. But he treats all his favorites the same. He treats all of us the same because we're all his favorites. So that he has a guy finally come to him. His name is Nathan. And Nathan stands before him and tells him this story. And David's heart is cut to the quick. Because God is a God whose judgments are always right. Who when he makes his judgments, he always knows that he will not play favorites. Because this God is a, is a God who is wise beyond um, what we could ever understand and discern. And yet he is loving. Everything. Everything towards you in his heart is love. 
we have every reason to trust. It's the voice in our head that says, yeah, he doesn't care about me, he doesn't like me, I must be doing, this must be happening because I did something wrong, you know, God's punishing me. No, God punished Jesus. He disciplines sometimes in order to help us when we make these decisions that really are contrary. He says, hey, wait, wake up. He puts on the warning lights and says, hey, the, the, the path you're heading, and you may be heading in that path right now, and God, God will let us sometimes go down that path, but at a certain point, you begin to start to feel guilt. You begin to start to, to experience the consequences of a really bad choice, and eventually God comes to you in that, and he says, even my judgment in this is to restore you to bring you back to me. God always does what is right. I love it. God always does what he says. I've heard it said that promises are a lot like babies. Easy to make, hard to deliver. Yeah, a little ripple of slow getting it there. Yeah. That's not so with God. Keeping promises are just as easy as making them for God. Because when God gives his word, he keeps it. It's a wonderful verse I memorized when I was in college. It's Numbers 23, verse 19. It's repeated again in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 24. It's a great verse to just put in your head because this is, the, this is your God. God is not a man that he should lie. It's not a man that he should lie. He doesn't say something and just do it to get you to do something. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. He's not the kind of guy who, when you get in relationship with him, he goes, yeah, if you do this and this and then, yeah, but what, did you say this? Yeah, no, I just changed my mind. God never does that. When God first came to Abraham, he promised to bless Abraham. He promised that Abraham's descendants would flourish and bless the entire earth. So there's this great place in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, when it looks back on Abraham, and it describes this this way. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I think that's almost kind of comical. He swore by himself saying, I surely will bless you and your many descendants and give you many descendants. And the scene, as you think about it here, when we we make promises, we always back our promises up with something greater, right? I mean, we come to somebody, I promise you this, and they're looking at you and go, yeah, right, I've seen that before. But I promise by God. Or as God is my witness. Here's God talking to Abraham, and he's going, I swear before me. As, as I am my witness, because there's no one greater. Because God is true. When he gives his word, he's full of truth. Never does he change his mind, never does he lie. God will do what he says, even when there's a delay. You might be in a place, you're going, man, God, it just seems like it's forever and ever. That happened. You know, many times you'll see in Scripture, here, here are the, um, the Israelites. They, Jacob sees his children, his, his 12 sons, go into Egypt. They go to Egypt, and before they go, God says to them, guess what, I will bring your children back. 400 years later, God raises up Moses to bring his people back. They wander for 40 years, which is one of the things I want to you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge him. Do not lean, you know, he will make straight your path. You know what the idea there is? Is from A to B, the quickest direction to get from A to B is always trust. So here's the children of Israel, the 400 years, God said, I'm going to take you out. 400 years from A to B to get to the promised land. God says, trust is the way to do it. They get to the edge of it. They don't trust and they wander for 40 years around here. So, so if you really want to get there, it, he, they end up wandering forever in the, sh- the shortest way is trust. They get there, and, they, and, and, and God says, through Joshua, 
Joshua speaking to the people. He says, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. God will do what he says even when we are tempted to think he's forgotten. I, I love this story, another story in the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament I love is because it's like a picture book for kids. It gives, you, it gives you, I mean, it's not like the New Testament, but it's in this sense you read it and you go, wow, you can picture the heart of God in so many of these things and the way that people live these stories out. Here's Joseph. Joseph has a dream. He's going to rule over his father and he's going to rule over his brothers. So Joseph has this dream. He gets this, uh, you know, his dad likes him, gives him this colored coat, and the brothers are not real happy. They don't like the many-colored coat Joseph. They don't like his dreams. They don't like his arrogance. They don't like, so they end up and they throw him in a well intending to kill him. One of them talks him out of it. They decide, okay, what we'll do instead is we'll sell him in slavery to this caravan that's going to Egypt. So they sell him to this person. And I, can you imagine, come on guys, the joke's over now. Come on, he's getting latched up and he's walking. So he walks for about two, three hours. He's thinking, I wonder they're going to come and stop the caravan and get me. And then they keep walking, it's maybe a half a day, then it's a day, then he's overnight, and then it's another day, and it's another day. And he's always thinking, God, did you forget me? What's going on here, God? Come on, you're going to have to rescue me. He gets there, he gets sold, he gets into a house, he begins to get promoted in this house, he becomes one of the top administrators of this house, and then the guy who's the, 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 the guy who's leading this house, his wife tries to compromise him through sex, and he then is charged for rape and gets thrown into prison. Can you imagine? He's going, God, what in the world have you forgotten? This is not only a delay of your vision, now you exactly you must have forgotten and so he's hoping for a break and at one point as he starts making his way up in the prison because everywhere he seems to go God seems to bless him at least to promote him he's in this prison and at one point Pharaoh has two people come in a baker and a chief cupbearer the baker has this dream and he can't interpret it so they say is there a guy who can interpret dreams so he and the chief cupbearer bring their dreams the baker says his and he says you know what yours is going to be like a loaf of bread we cut in half you'll be you know you're not going back Chief Cupbearer, he says to him, guess what? Your position is going to be restored, but when you go, would you remember me? He's going, yes, God. So cool you brought this guy down here. You allowed me to do this in his life. But Genesis 39, 23 reads, the Chief Cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And when you read the story, I mean, you can feel the despair as you read it. In chapter 40, the next verse continues, when two, and you got to know this in the Hebrew, two full years had passed, and Joseph is going, God, did you forget me? It says Pharaoh had a dream. Now the chief cupbearer remembers. He forgot. Men forget. God does not forget his promise to you. He delivers on his promises. And no matter what the circumstances, the third thing, he will do it again and again and again consistently. There's another story when I think about this last point of, of God always doing it again and again, no matter what the circumstances. Even when it looks impossible, God does it. Even when every conceivable circumstance causes you to doubt God's ability to come through, he still does. I love Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. They're probably my favorite verses in the Bible. If God has promised you something, then God will do it in his time and in his way and according to his will. He is worthy of your trust. It says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. 
You see, trust that's extended over a long period of time when you think God's delaying and you think he's forgetting and you're wondering whether he's doing it right in the heart that believes leads to hope. Against all hope, in hope, he believed and became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, without any trust weakened, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Listen to these words. He did, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, you have to understand this about this whole situation here. This sense of hope and trusting in God, even though the circumstances in your life don't look good, you have to understand he's not saying don't do anything. Faith is still active in trusting in God. But it's not leaning in your own insight and trying to make it happen. Abraham had tried that. At a certain point, when, when there wasn't a son coming, wasn't some offspring coming, he said, you know, I'll make Eliezer the guy, the chief servant. Maybe he's the one God meant. And God comes to him and says, no, that's not the guy. I'm going to give you a son. I'm actually going to give you a son. So he waits, and it's delayed, and now he's wondering God's going to, you know, you know maybe we've got to do something. So he talks to his wife, Sarah. Sarah and him are thinking about it, and they go, yeah, well, maybe we should have Hagar. Maybe her, if she has a son, which she does, Ishmael, maybe he's the one, and God comes and goes, no, no, that's not it. So now, at 100 years of age, 99 years of age, when there's a womb that can create no life, God says, I'll act. <laughs> I said, this is what I, you know. But it was still an act of faith. Abraham Remain faithful, doing what he, only he could do. God still calls us to do what he's doing. Abraham continued to make love to his wife. He didn't expect a virgin birth. Now, you, I mean, that sounds, think about it. God says, I don't want you to make it happen, and I want you to trust when you come to the end of your resources, I just want you to remain faithful. I want you to do what you're supposed to do. That means you're to live in joy, and you're supposed to be in peace, and you're supposed to have this sense of love that you begin to experience God's love, and you love others. And when you do that, hope fills your heart because God, at times, will lead you to the place where he alone can do what your heart is hoping for. So here's what I want you to think about. Because we've got two minutes before the Viking game starts. If you want to build trust, when Jesus looks at us and says, be perfect, be holy, be mature, like I am holy and mature, you know what he's saying? You're going you're gonna to do something by, as you trust in God, you're going to find how weak your own trust is. You're going to find how much you need him. When you begin to really lean into him and you begin to really see it, you're going to start seeing, yeah, I don't love like the way I love you. You know, I don't, I'm really, a lot of times, the circumstances go south, I go south with it. You know, you're going to see this and you're going to need the grace of God. You're going to need him to fill you. You're going to need his word to guide you. You're going to need to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding, which means you don't try and make it happen. You really don't try and make the outcome of what you want it to be in that sense, but you continue to trust God for what he promised and that you'd be good and you continue to do what you know is right with this act of faith and you live this out and you choose joy and you choose to be in peace and you choose to love people and you choose to stay in hope and here's what you do when you do that God says I will make you like me so if you want to build trust in your life you you got in a situation in a marriage or you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about you want it to be more productive or you're thinking about what it's like in some ministry or with a friendship here's how you do it I'm going to ask you to think about this. All week, I want you to think about this. And you need to think about where you might need to apply this. Will you make a resolve to always do what you know is right? 
before God. What his word, you will do what is right. If you don't know, begin to pray. Bring other believers into it. That you will be the kind of person that when you make and give your word, you will do what you say. And then when the circumstances get tough, it says in Psalms that a man who is growing or a woman who is growing like God keeps their oath even when it hurts. You'll do it again and again and again. And when you fail, you just go back to the grace of God and say, God, I need, I trust you, I need you and your spirit to work in my life. So I want you to think about that. And I'm going to ask Joel and the team to come up and we're going to sing in just a moment and I'll close it up in just a second after that. But I want you just to bow your head for a moment. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I building trust? I want you to ask this question. Have I resolved in my heart that I will, I will do what is right? In any, in any and every circumstance, I will do what is right. And resolve in your heart, I will do what I say. And I will do that consistently again and again. And when I fail, I will receive God's grace. I will understand his truth that he loves me. And I will just walk back into this again and again. Because in this process, he will make you into the person that he promises to make you into. And he always, he always delivers on his promise.